0: Let's pray. Jesus, we do pray that you would be our vision. Lord, every day that we walk through life, Jesus, may you be our goal. As Paul says, may our eyes be set on the finish line, Father, and may we run hard, never giving up, Lord, never slowing down. May we be faithful always. Lord, be with us this morning, Lord, as we open your word. We thank you so much that you've given us your scriptures, Lord, a revelation of yourself that we may know you and we may seek to make you known. We thank you and we pray that you would bless us this morning and that you would teach us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I did want to apologize and when I recognized Ethan earlier. Matt Rumfellow was also playing with him and I wanted to recognize Matt and thank him for sharing his gift with us as well. Ethan had, had to leave and Matt... That's still with us. (laughs) He's still with us. So, I've I've struggled with the title of this sermon this morning. um, But, I do want to talk to you about aging. And a lot of you are going to, you know, kind (laughs) of doze off immediately. But before you do, there may be some things that would be good for you as well. First, this is a cultural question. The question culture is asking is... How do I stay young? How do I stay looking young? It's like there's this ideal age. Once you hit about 24, this is the perfect age, this is the perfect look, and you want to stay looking in that kind of age range, 20, 24. Once you get past there, oh, you're on the downhill. It's not looking good. And I know some of you are like, man, downhill is 24. Wow, this is not good for me. But this, this is the culture. This is the culture we're in. How do we stay looking young? That's the question they're asking. We see this in uh, plastic surgery and things like this all the time. Uh, America is one of the biggest producers of, income, of plastic surgery. It's on the rise, year after year. And so the, obviously the questioner people are asking, we see this also in, um, I worked at a restaurant in New Orleans, and um, what was it, Stephen Seagal would come in. You all familiar with Steven Seagal? You remember him? And I would get close to him, I would bring him his food, and it was clear that he had had a little bit of work done. And, and he was just you know, how do I stay looking young? How do I stay looking good? And clearly some of these pe- that's not the answer for some of these people. It, it's very clear. But the question is important. The question is important for us. If the culture is asking it, should we be asking it too? I think it's the wrong question. Landon often asks us, he's kind of trained you, uh, what's our purpose, CrossPoint? Glorify God, right? And enjoy Him forever. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, if God has created us, God has given us breath, God has sent us a Savior, God has redeemed us. He gives us breath, and He also is the one who can take our breath away. He has not stopped this process of aging. And so, if it's in God's desire, if this is happening, the question we should ask is not how do I stay young, but how do I glorify God in aging? This is a reality. Every life situation you're in, the question you should be asking is not, how do I get out of this life situation, but how do, unless it's sinful, of course. But the question you should be asking is, how do I glorify God and where I am and what's happening? My purpose is to glorify God. And the reality is that every one of us, youth, uh, child, adult, however old you are, we're aging. We're on a process. And so the question we should be asking is, how do I glorify God? And so the title of the sermon is, How Does Aging Glorify God? I want to start with a couple of, couple of statements. Age is enormously important. In case you think the Bible doesn't talk about this much, I want you to know aging is enormously important. I want to start with a little bit of an illustration. I was in New Orleans in a coffee shop called PJ's one time, tier two. But uh, if you want an interesting conversation, just go to a PJ's or a public place in New Orleans with your Bible, and you're, you're bound to get in an interesting conversation. So I was sitting in there with my Bible open, I was Studying for school or, or something, and a man close by. He he asked me what I was studying. He wanted a conversation. Clearly, and uh, he ended up telling me he was eighty something. He was in his early eighties, and he said he was a secular humanist. And if you're not familiar with that, is it's just a form of atheism, basically. There is no God, there is no creator, but humans, we can make it on our own and we can be good on our own. We're the center of existence, not creation, because there is no creation, but just existence in itself. He said he was a secular humanist. So, you know, as a seminary student, it's like, oh yeah, all right. I'm going to use some of my skills here. Let's see where we can get with this. So, I started just, just chatting with him, and I, I didn't think I was necessarily going to convince him, but maybe I tried, I don't know. But we talked, we talked, and Katie was there as well, and she kind of had heard some of the conversation. So later on, Katie and I were talking, and uh, she was asking me what I said, and I was just telling her, you know, I would kind of questioned some of his beliefs and that stuff. And Katie said, you should have just told him he was too old to be that foolish. <laughs> and uh, her gift is mercy, clearly. Uh, <laughs> No, no, she really is. She really is gracious. But but I thought what Katie said was was very important. As we age, we should be getting wiser. We should be thinking better. We should be learning from our mistakes. So in this physical sense, in just a very practical sense, as we grow older, we should be getting a little bit better. Even if some things aren't getting better, we should be thinking better anyway. And then in a spiritual sense also, every day, every month, every year that passes, while we're believers, we should be progressing in the gospel. We bear greater responsibility for knowledge of God. Because we have opportunity to know him. And 1 John, John writes and he says, I write to you little children, I write to you young men, and I write to you fathers. And in these things, he says, because your sins are forgiven, because you have overcome the evil one, to, to the fathers, the first section, he says, because you know him who is from the beginning. See what John's saying? It bears responsibility. Knowing God, just the simple fact of having the opportunity to know God, it's a weight and so as we grow, aging is tremendously important. Youth, every day you hear the gospel, you bear a greater weight. You will be judged more strictly because God will say you had the chance. Over and over again, you had the chance. Aging is tremendously important. If we're, not, if we're getting older but we're not getting wiser, you're definitely not walking in the gospel. We're going to begin this morning in Proverbs 16, verse 31. It's there on your, uh, your, your bullets in there, so you, you don't have to your Bible just yet? If you don't want to, we're going to be in some other passages. Proverbs 16, verse 31. It reads, so, Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Read that again. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Now, just looking at the Proverbs, we, we shouldn't be so narrow-minded to assume that, you know, those who gray early are necessarily wise or old or even that every person with gray hair is wise. That's not what Proverbs is doing. Proverbs is basically a commentary on the Pentateuch, and it's taking those exact laws and it's forming them into uh, general principles, okay? And so one, one author writes, This is not an absolute principle in Proverbs, but a generally true one. It is more likely, for instance, that a man will grow old if he does not sleep with another man's wife. Right? Isn't that true? And so Proverbs is forming general principles. And so the general principle of this passage is that gray hair should be a crown of glory. What does glory mean? The glory, the Hebrew word, it carries an aspect of beauty, of respect, deserving of respect. Of authority, simply by the color of your hair, that you should draw authority to yourself. People should look to you and say, That guy knows what he's talking about, that woman. She knows what she's talking about righteous that that end word righteous in the hebrew sense it's an all encompassing way of life, so it is a, a religious sense, but it also it, it's just integrity it's they've lived their life well they've lived their life faithfully it's all encompassing their whole life and so here's what I want to say about this passage what's this passage is saying? young men have strength, David the king is a man of strength, they may have their uh their looks and those things, but what this passage is saying is the apex of human existence is a gray-haired man or woman who has never stopped growing. In one person, you have years of experience of walking with God, years of experience of getting through life. They've learned what are good decisions and what are bad decisions, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. They have all these aspects combined into one person, and yet also they're humble or they're supposed to be. That's what the gospel would say. And so the, the apex of human existence is not the young man, is not the young beautiful woman, which our culture would tell us, but it's this old man. It's this old woman who has lived life well. Who has been faithful. And so all our attempts to cover up, what we're growing to be. And the scriptures say this is good. And so what we want to ask this morning is, how, how does aging glorify God? How do hairs coming where we don't want them to be and going away where we want them to be, how does slowing down and, and all these things, how does this bring glory to God? First, we're going to look at Caleb, a man in the Old Testament. that so we've, we've been in Joshua recently. Uh, in our Sunday school time, but we'll be in Joshua chapter 14. So if you'll turn there with me. Now, I want to say just a little bit about Old Testament narratives. Narratives are going to highlight characters, not to say that this character is perfect, but to say this character is an example. What this character does is normally good. And so, Abraham, for instance, most of, most of us would know, Abraham was not perfect, we know that. Abraham doubted, Abraham did these things, but even in the New Testament, he's remembered primarily as a man of faith. Okay, so what the Old Testament narratives are going to do is highlight an individual and say, this person did well. And so we're seeing in Joshua chapter 14 that Caleb is highlighted as the epitome of this gray-haired man who, who wears a crown of glory. We're going to begin in verse 6 of Joshua 14. It says, The people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. Remember that. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses sent me. He says, I brought word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers went up with me it made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years, since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the and were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. This narrative highlights Caleb as a man of consistent faithfulness. It says that when he was 40, Moses sent out a group of men and there were two men who came back trusting the Lord and what he said he would do. Two points on Caleb here. Caleb was committed to Yahweh and to Yahweh's promises. And he was also committed to Yahweh's people. So how was God glorified in aging? And from the life of Caleb, we have the example, commitment to Yahweh's promises To Yahweh and his faithfulness throughout life and commitment to the people of Yahweh. We're going to be back to this in just a few minutes. But Caleb shows constant commitment. The important thing is not just what he's doing now at 85, but it's what he was doing at 40. See, we shouldn't be surprised where we are in 20 years. Where are you now? It's a snapshot. I wanted to, just in case you're young and I'm losing you already, I wanted to give you just a little bit of an example. I have a slingshot here. How many of you have a slingshot that you play with often? (laughs) Especially you senior adults. I know that you use slingshots often. This was my first, before I could get a gun, I had to get a slingshot because they're completely safe. A kid never did any damage with a slingshot and a rock. And so I got a slingshot first. And what I did, you know, first I got it. And so, you know, I just started playing with experimenting. And so I would do the, I'm not going to shoot. I have nothing in here, I promise. Um, And so I would just shoot straight, you know, that kind of stuff. And but every kid just wants to know how far can I shoot it? You know, that's the question. And then I watched Robin Hood, and I mean, Robin Hood just set me. You know, I I just thought, you know, Robin Hood, he would shoot the arrows like 400 yards. I mean, so anyway, I I just thought, man, I can shoot this further. And so what I would do is, you know, you you point it up, and then you see how far you can shoot it. And what I realize, what you're doing here is you're putting the object, whatever you're shooting, on a trajectory. I'm trying to see how far I can shoot it. And so I'm not going to be real surprised if, I, you know, if I've done this before, that when I do this, it's going to go a, fir- a certain distance, right? And so I can't say to my parents when I bust the window, I, I really didn't know it was going to go that far. I was really surprised, I promise. No, I can't say that because I knew. Here's the reality. You're on a trajectory. No matter how old you are, if you're 15 and you're not growing now, what makes you think you're going to be growing when you're 30 and you're a dad? And you're going to be asking, man, how do I train these children? How do I train them to obey Jesus? And you're like, oh, man, I didn't obey Jesus. I still don't obey Jesus. Mom, how do you expect to be training young women in 20 years if you're not memorizing Scripture now, if you're not growing now? We shouldn't be surprised where Caleb was when he was 85 because he was a faithful man when he was 40. And we shouldn't be surprised where we are in 20, 30 years either. It's going to depend on what we're doing now. You're on a trajectory. A second point, just a second point about Caleb's life. He was 85 and he said that his strength was then as it was when he was 40. 40. For, going, for war and for going and coming. And I was talking to Mr. Richard and he said, well, he's a better man than I am. And so we may not feel exactly like Caleb. But I do want to, I wanted to read to you a, a blog. John Piper, he's a pastor in um, St. Paul, Minnesota, I believe. And he, he turned 65. And hey, I'm not saying 65's old. He wrote this, not me. And so, but I did want to w- give you uh, some things that he wrote. He's, it should be up. I think they were going to put that up. It says, turning 65 in January has has me all fired up to get busy. I'm close enough to the finish line that the face of Jesus is coming into sharper focus. This is very exciting and makes me want to pick up the pace. Of course, he's not the least impressed with frenzy. What his face says to me is, I am your rest every day, and there is good work to do every day till you're home. God has called me to this one great thing, and his face affirms it every day. With full courage, now, as always, let Christ be magnified in your body, whether by life or by death. Live now to make much of Christ. Measure everything by this. Will it help people admire Jesus more intensely and treasure Jesus more deeply? The Bible says the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. But of course, my times are in your hand. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. We don't live one day longer or shorter than God appoints. So at 65, I'm still gagging at the pictures of leathery old sunbathers on white shores and green links. For 15 years, I've thrown hundreds of senior mailings in the recycle bag unopened. Not that I'm opposed to saving 79 cents on lunch at Perkins. Just don't try to sell me heaven before I get there. There's too much hell left to fight. Turning 65 has set me pondering what people have done in their later years. So I started poking around on the internet, and here's some of what I found. At 65, Winston Churchill became Prime Minister of England and for the next five years led the Western world to freedom. At 69, Ronald Reagan became the oldest man ever sworn in as the President of the United States. He was re-elected at 73. At 70, Benjamin Franklin helped draft the Declaration of Independence. At 77, John Glenn became the oldest person to go into space. At 77, Grandma Moses started painting. At 82, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe finished writing Faust. And at 89, Albert Schweitzer ran a hospital in Africa. So... And he says, and don't forget, if you're running this marathon with Jesus, you have a great advantage. God has promised you, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. Nothing to be ashamed of here. We've been dangling in the yoke of Jesus ever since he called us. At our peak, we were totally dependent, so it will be to the end. So all you boomers just breaking into Medicare, gird up your loins, pick up your cane, head for the gym, and get fit for the last lap. Fix your eyes on the face at the finish line. There will be plenty of time for R&R and the resurrection. For now, there is happy work to be done. So I wonder how many of us are just mentally or physically giving up already. We're disqualifying ourselves from God's mission too early. John Stott was a pastor in England. He's in his his 90s, early 90s now. But he was a pastor and writer, and he was known for his discipline. And you can look at all the books he's written, and you can see that. But he lives in a retirement home. And in that retirement home, it says in his biography, there was a woman who came to him and said, John, why do you never have time to talk to me? And he says, I'll talk to you at 10 o'clock on Monday. John's known for praying, spending his time praying, writing, and doing these things in his late 80s and early 90s. He just finished his, what he said will be his last book this last year. And so, where are we? Are we giving up yet? Are we growing? Are we running hard to the finish line? And then, what trajectory were we on? This is Caleb's life. He worked hard. And then he was on a trajectory. So, the question we want to continue asking, we're going to move to 1 Thessalonians at this point. And the same things that we saw in Caleb. We saw that Caleb was committed to Yahweh's promises and that he was committed to Yahweh's people. And I want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The reality is God can end our lives at any moment. Mr. Earl, I was at, he was asking me the other day, he said, you know what I do, what I, what I do. And he said there were two, chance, two times that he could have died. He said he was a baby and he couldn't eat. He couldn't even get food down. He said he could have died then. Then there was another time he was working on the railroad and he was in his 20s and the rail, the railroad, it was in a, they were in a wreck, an accident. And he said he was, he was squished up against the wall to where he could barely move. But he said both times, he, at that time, he should have died. And so the reality is we could, we could die at any age. And so the, the question is, all of us are aging, and how do we glorify God every day? We'll see this in 1 Thessalonians 4. The first point here is God is glorified in our aging when it results in sanctification. These are big picture, general points. There are many things we could go into on this topic, but general things. Paul writes to Thess- Thessalonica. This is a church Paul planted and then was run out by the authorities because of persecution. And so this church was kind of like spiritual orphans. Their spiritual father had trained them for a time, but then was forced out. And so Paul gets a report on the questions they're asking, and he writes them a letter, and these are the things that he tells them. He says, these are the important things. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 1, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The first point, God is glorified in our aging when it results in our sanctification. This is a pagan port city, and Paul is highlighting the cultural craving there in that city. It's sex. He says, abstain from sexual immorality. The people there were objects of pleasure rather than uh, God's image bearers. And so, uh, we would like for Paul's list here to be very exhaustive. Abstain from sexual immorality. Well, I've got that. I've got that under control, so there's nothing I'm good. But no, Paul is just listing what's prominent in that culture. And so, for us, the question is what is attacking us? What's prominent in our culture? And how am I succumbing to the, the sinfulness here? And so, impulse, I would say, is one of our cultural cravings. We can get whatever we want at any time we want. Do we have self-control. We're addicted to pleasure often and materialism. Paul also says here that each one of you know how to control his own body. And so in the sanctification process, one of the important points is, do you know yourself? Do you know your own weaknesses? Do you know how easily you yourself can get off track? John Owen says there's two important things in fighting against sin. The first is to know our flesh is our own enemy. The second is to, and I quote, to labor to be acquainted with the ways, wiles, advantages, and occasions of its success is the beginning of this warfare. So do men deal with their enemies. They inquire out their counsels and designs, ponder their ends, consider how and by what means they have formerly prevailed that they may get the start of them. If you want to grow in sanctification, You've got to look at yourself. Where is your heart so easily deceived? Where are those pressure points where you're just instantly tempted and you'll walk in it? You'll go. Do you know yourself? So the first, God, when it results in our sanctification. And the second thing here is it begins in verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so you may properly walk before outsiders and be dependent on no one. God is glorified in our aging when we seek biblical community. These are so similar, it's so funny, these are so similar to Caleb. God is glorified in Caleb when he was committed to Yahweh's promises and when he was committed to Yahweh's people, to his plan for his people. And the same thing in Thessalonians. God is glorified in our aging when it results in growth, knowing God. And then God is glorified in our aging when we seek his people, community with his people. And the first thing here is that it's an alternative community. God's people are an alternative community. It says that their faith, their love for the brothers was known throughout all Macedonia. Thessalonica alone was 100,000 people. Yet this whole province of Macedonia had heard about the faith of this church. You see, they were united with the the brothers in the whole area. It wasn't geographically bound, but they sought community with the, the whole church family throughout the area. It's an alternative community. We've been studying in Joshua about a woman named Rahab. Now, if I asked you, if Rahab, you remember she was in Jericho, and God's people came and she promised them she would take care of them and protect them, and they said, okay, we'll protect you as well. But if Rahab would have said, you know, I want to be a part of your people, but I really want to stay in Jericho, is that okay? I just like it here, it's more comfortable here. I like Jericho, I like the people. So I'm going to be one of God's people, but I'm going to stay in Jericho. Would that have been possible? The people of Jericho were entirely destroyed. It says that she was known in Israel for her whole family for years after that. Sometimes we do have difficulty understanding this here. I wanted to uh, read to you about a a pastor in Algeria. The people in other countries where Christianity is illegal, uh, they know, they understand this concept of Christianity, of the church being an alternative community. There's a pastor named... uh, pastor Hankem <laughs> and they built a church in in Algeria and it says at one point in 2009, they had been legal to do this, but in one point in 2009, more than 20 Muslims blocked the church entrance and prevented members from attending a Christmas service. Two days later, some of the protesters broke into the building and stole microphones and speakers. In the weeks that followed, the protesters took their hostility to a new level. On January 2nd of 2010, Muslims uh, burst into a church service, intimidating the congregation and threatening to kill Pastor Hankum. One week later, they stormed the church again and vandalized the building into, until police arrived. They later returned and burned everything in the church, including Bibles, appliances, hymnals, furniture, and a cross. The, the, um, this organization who publishes this, The Voice of the Martyrs, it says they helped them rebuild the church and all these things. Although the tax reduced uh, Pastor Hankum's congregation from more than 300 to about 10 he continued to preach to the small group in the vandalized church. I was disappointed, but didn't want it to appear that I was disappointed, Pastor Hankum says. Even if it was just me, I will be here until death in this church. Our vision is for the whole country to come to Christ. The believers in Algeria are not deterred, even though they risk losing their jobs, property, families, and even their freedom to spread the gospel. They trust God to provide for and work through them. As we grow older, and this is why I highlighted the senior adults earlier. Their commitment to the church has gone stronger, grown stronger. And so I wonder if this is the same for us. Do we realize that we are called to God's body? Our calling as a believer is not just individual, it is individual, but it's communal. We're called to this alternative community, we're called to be a part of God's people. Next, biblical community is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in the gospel. Forgiveness and long-suffering with one another. If there's nothing Christ was not willing to forgive you for, there's nothing you can hold against others. Dealings with one another, particularly speaking to one another, is going to be different. And in 1 Timothy 5.1, Paul gives a principle to Timothy for how, what this looks like. Paul says to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and all purity. The principle here is a mutual respect and recognition of one another. I think Paul is talking about this when he says in Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So every time we approach one another, a question we should be asking is, how can I love him or her in what I'm going to say? Some people may need to hear things differently than other people do. My dad used to say, we're from North Louisiana, a small town, and so we had our little sayings, and my dad used to say the only thing some people will understand is a rear-end chewing. Or sometimes there's some people who can only understand a rear-end beating. (laughs) And he would say it in his own way. I won't say that here. But this shouldn't be true in the body of Christ. Paul says, when he says this to Timothy, he says, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. What I love about this is what Jay highlighted earlier, is our senior adults, instead of growing more stubborn in their old age, have grown more humble. They listen, and they don't say, I'm right. It's my way or the highway. This isn't the gospel community. The gospel community is, the more you grow in the gospel, the older you are, the more humble you are. So people in the body of Christ shouldn't need a rear-end chewing. We should receive one another in love. We should listen to one another. Now sometimes people will need that, but that's, hopefully that's not the norm. So, so God is glorified in aging when it leads to our sanctification, our growth, our knowledge of Him. God is glorified in our aging when it leads to us seeking biblical community. To us being more commuted to his committed to his community of faith. And then our last point, we're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter four. And I promise we're getting close to the end. <clears throat> God is glorified in aging when it causes us to think on his grace and our end. This is in chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Just to highlight a little bit, if we think Paul's afflictions, he talks about his outer body wasting away. If they think it was light, we should go to Second Corinthians 11, where we find he was shipwrecked and abandoned at sea three times, five times received 39 lashings, three times beaten with rods. He endured imprisonment, lack of food, lack of sleep, and harsh weather conditions on countless journeys, and all of it was for the gospel all of it was work for Christ. So Paul's afflictions were heavy. He knew affliction. He knew about what it was like to grow old. But C.S. Lewis has commented on what, the weight of glory. It says that Paul, he said we know that we will want to have an eternal weight of glory. I didn't say this earlier, but that glory word is also a sense of it's heaviness. It's a weight that we bear. And C.S. Lewis talks about this, and he wrote a sermon called The Weight of Glory. And he's speaking of the glory that we will bear. He says, "In in the end, that face which is the delight or the terror of the universe must be turned upon each of us either with one expression or with the other, either conferring glory inexpressible or inflicting shame that can never be cured or disguised. He says, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ that some of us, that any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. It seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But it is so. Is this not refreshing to us at any age? Every birthday we should think that one day Christ will clothe us. He will clothe us. And so God is glorified in aging as we grow weaker and we think on Him more. John Stott in the last book that I referenced earlier, his last chapter is on death. And he says that as he grows, ages more and more, and he knows that he's getting closer, he said it just reminds them that he's been dependent the whole time. The whole time. And so as we, as we close this morning, this is, this is big picture stuff. This is general stuff. Your whole life. I asked Mr. Richard the other day, I said, what, was there any point that you got off you know, track? And he said, yeah, of course but he's been in church pretty much his whole life. And so for you who are young, you want to get on a trajectory to where you're going to be like Caleb. A man like Caleb. No God. This is the trajectory. Sanctification. Growth. If you seek him, you shouldn't be surprised in 20 years that you love him more than you did 20 years ago. Growth. Knowledge of God, faithfulness to Him. Secondly, a commitment to His people. Wherever you go, wherever you move in life. Some of you are are about to go to college. Some of you uh, college students are graduating. You're getting married and you're like, what am I going to do with my life? Commitment to His community of faith. Always. This is the faith the community that will hold you up. This is the place where your experiences can be shared. And people can give perspective to it when you're in hard times, they can say, God is good and He will be faithful to you. Apart from this community, your sufferings, there's no perspective. They mean nothing. And so, commitment to His people. And thirdly, God is glorified in aging when it causes us to think on His grace and our end, that He sent His own Son, that He may die and give us life, and that one day we will be clothed and we will be with Him, and He will say, Well done. Can you imagine hearing these words from your Creator? This is the glory we will bear. It is a heavy weight. What we bear today. The glory of knowing him. The responsibility of sharing him. Of living his gospel. And so as we close. The response is. Be faithful. Repent. Turn from your sin. Your unfaithfulness. And turn to him. Put yourself on a trajectory. To walk with God. And to love him. All of your life. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we thank you. (laughs) We thank you that you offer yourself to us. That we may have relationship with you, the God of the entire universe. Jesus, Lord, that we would not seek the weak pleasures, Father, the things that cannot totally satisfy us. The things that leave us just longing for more. Lord, that we would seek you, the only one who can satisfy us. We were made for you, Lord, as Augustine said. And our hearts are weary until they find rest in you. So Jesus, give us strength. May we keep your grace before us all our lives. Lord, what we one day will be. We thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.